It's Adam Shartoff, your host of Film Wax Radio. It is Friday, September 3rd, 2021, and you're listening to episode 684 of the podcast. We have two wonderful segments on this episode. No big surprise there. We have the team of a new fantasy, science fiction, romantic comedy. It's a pan-genre type of film, actually. It's interesting. It's called Hereafter, as I mentioned, and it stars the actor Andy Carl, and it is directed by Harry Greenberger and produced by Filmwax Radio friend, and I think he was the guest on the uh, fifth episode of the podcast ever, Carmine Famiglietti. He's an actor and a producer and a writer and uh, one of my first guests. And he's back after 680 episodes. <laughs> so very glad to bring on Carmine with Harry and Andy onto the show with their film, which you can watch uh, currently streaming. We'll get to all that in a little bit. First up, however, since I started the show, I wanted to get the actor Pat Healy on. You know, uh, I, honestly, I, I, I came to know... Pat's work when I first saw Compliance at South by Southwest 2012. So yeah, nine years ago. However, you know, I think that a lot of people learned about Pat that when he was in Cheap Thrills, which is, if you haven't seen Cheap Thrills, you should see it. Let's take a brief look at some highlights here. Uh, Pat's career, I'm going to make recommendations. And he does do a lot of genre films, meaning a lot of dark comedies and thrillers and that type of things, as is the new film we're going to talk about, which is called We Need to Do Something. It's opening today, September 3rd, in uh, theaters, and, and as well as becoming available on demand and streaming. However, if you go back earlier, and I recommend you do, he directed his own short called Mullet, which you can see on Vimeo, and I recommend it because there's an unrecognizable Michael Shannon who he knew through his work at, at Steppenwolf in Chicago. He has a small role in Ghost World, which I find very interesting because I've seen it a couple of times and I'm forgetting where he was in that movie. That's 20 years ago, Ghost World, with FilmWise radio friend uh, Ileana Douglas, of course, playing the art teacher in that film. But we're going to have to take a look back and about this. I wish I had taken a closer look at this, but I only had, after all, about a half hour with Pat. I mean, he, he's got to come back on. I mean, that's that much for is for sure. Harmony and Me, uh, directed by Bob Byington. I have a, a, film, a stock full of Filmwax friends, including Pat and, 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 and Justin Rice and uh, Kevin Corrigan. But I didn't, still didn't know. The Innkeepers, 2011. A wonderful film with uh, Sarah Paxton, Kelly McGillis, and, and Pat. With uh, Ty West, who's done this show before, directing. Uh, Compliance came out, as I mentioned, in 2012. You must see that one. It introduced me and most audiences to Ann Dowd, who had a large role in that, and whose career, I think, took off after that movie. Uh, Then Cheap Thrills, which is uh, maybe one of the most... uh, known roles for Pat. That That is a fun movie to watch if you haven't seen it yet. See Cheap Thrills. 
I'm just making some recommendations here. I apologize if this is like uh, a little lame, but it's Pat Healy for Pete's sake. He's now been on the series Station 19, and I'm not sure. I guess also them. Check out those series on uh, various platforms or uh, broadcast television. Station 19, I believe, is an ABC series, but it plays Michael Dixon on that show. And now he is back in a new movie called We Need to Do Something. Again, it's opening today, the 3rd of September. The story is about a family seeking shelter from a strange, powerful storm. Uh, And they find themselves trapped for days in their bathroom in this suburban house. It's a big bathroom, you know. You could do a whole movie in a bathroom, which is what they do here. Believe me, how could that be? But it does. It's a great movie. And for uh, there, there's no signs of rescue with uh, untold evils lurking just beyond the walls in this wildly fun house of a horror thrill ride. The uh, film stars Sierra McCormick, Vanessa Shaw, Lisette Alexis, and John James Cronin. It's directed by Sean King O'Grady. Finally, after 10 years of film wax, we're going to have on Pat Healy right now. I'm going to just mention one more thing. In the upcoming episode, starting next uh, on the next episode, to celebrate 10 years of Filmwax, we're going to uh, call up some old friends of the, that were in the initial series of, of guests, uh, including Carmine, who, who's going to be just a, you know, a, a guest for, to talk about a new project. But then we're going to bring, we'll have Carmine in a couple weeks back to, uh, for a brief phone call. We're going to have, we're going to have people call in and, and just catch up with what they're doing and kind of reminiscing about the early days of Filmwax going back to 2010 which started in a radio internet radio platform called B-Box Radio in what was called the DeKalb Market in downtown Brooklyn, right off Flatbush Avenue near the Brooklyn Bridge and near Metrotech. Don't look for it now. It's not there anymore. It's, uh, it is now called the City Point Mall. And uh, residing on the top floor of this mall is an Alamo Draft House movie theater. So I'm not, uh, you know, I wasn't entirely disgusted by the fact that what was a lovely kind of community-oriented spot became a, uh, you know, developer's money grab. But I digress. Okay? Here is an independent film. It is a genre film. It's a horror film with a lot of dark humor in it. And, of course, that means Pat Healy. And here it is now, Pat Healy, only on Film Wax Radio. There's not going to be a tornado. It's just a thunderstorm. Everything's going to be okay. Why weren't you answering my calls? Look, I'm sorry. I just... I think it's an EF5. What the hell's an EF5? It's like when two tornadoes come together and they form one giant tornado. Mom, I think something might be wrong. Won't open. A tree is blocking the door. Can't we just break the door down? That thing is made of solid oak. I can't just punch through it. Doesn't make any sense. What doesn't make any sense? We have neighbors. Someone would have come. They're all dead. Why would you say that? What if it wasn't just a storm? Hey, Adam. Oh. Not here. Uh-huh. I just had your brother on recently, actually. If I can say Did that. you? 
Jim? Yeah, you know, especially during, I've always sort of enjoyed going to obviously festivals and that's where I was introduced to you actually. Uh, uh, so I've always tried to, I don't know, talk to people in various festivals and highlight the ones I think are doing a great job. So I've been meaning. Yeah. Yeah. I do a great job there. I agree. And I've been meaning to uh, do it for a long time, uh, bring them on. And finally brought Michael and Jim on. And so it was obviously not that long ago. You're in New York, right? Yeah. Well, I've been in New York City and now I'm a little north of the city. Right. Which is what a lot of (laughs) like-minded New Yorkers have done. Yeah. Most people I know my age have have done that or moved. Yeah. I mean, I think well, COVID sort of sped sped things up a little bit, but you know, it started to happen with my people around my age, like about ten years ago. People started to flee the city for Maine and upstate and all that stuff. Oh wow, yeah, Nyack, Nyack, nice town. Yeah, it's actually very Lewis, pretty. Lewis can tell me who's in this. Tell me, no, I know I was at, in that house. Yeah, oh, have you? I, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Did, did you interview him there? Yeah, because I, I knew him a, a little bit because I'm I kind of am nuts. So it, none of these are things are coincidental. I, I just certain actors, you know, or, or creative people, they get, you know, and I would see him around and I saw him in a bunch of films early on, like 10 years ago. And, you know, that face and his style. Yeah. I mean, and then I ran into him on a subway and I said, so nice to meet you. And then I don't know. I think he gave me his email at the time, I guess. And when he was in that little Scorsese film, the Irish something or other, (laughs) that was like a great excuse to, to, to invite him on. And so he said, well, you can, if you want to do it in person, why don't you come up here? I mean, we have a little, you know, a little one now. So it's uh, or they had a few kids maybe even. They have three. Yeah. 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 So, but he was so good in that. And uh, yeah, he's great in this too. He's uh... Just working with him yesterday. I think he went home for a little bit, but he'll be back. So we know everybody we know in Nyack, we know in common. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, I, I, you know, it's funny. It's the second time I heard about it in a week because uh, my buddy Toby Huss is up there filming that White House Plumbers show. And they had some kind of to do up there where it got shut down. Is this like the Watergate thing? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Oh, it's uh, uh, Woody Harrelson and Justin Thoreau as uh, the. Libby, uh, G. Gordon Liddy, and uh, Gordon Hunt. Oh, and it's wow. about it's about the the plumbers. It's about the guys who broke in. So uh, I can't wait there to was see some, it. Some I... big brush up that happened on set. Oh, okay. We'll definitely get to. We need to do something which directed by Sean King O'Grady, and which opens on the ninth, uh, September third. I think you're right. I yeah, think it's September third. Labor Day oh, here weekend. It is. September third. Yes, right. But I did want to say because. I was introduced to you with compliance. I know probably mm-hmm. not the only one. Sorry. I... <laughs> Thank you. Finally, closure. We can move on. Yeah. <laughs> and then, you know, just uh, again, you were somebody and I came close to bring you on. We were supposed to meet in New York City and I don't want to. Yeah, uh, I remember we talked. Come on. You don't remember Facebook that. Or something. I, do, I do. And I've listened to your show before. Oh, oh yeah. Because I, I, you've had everybody on. But uh-huh. I remember talking on Facebook or something. You reached yeah, out did. to me and I, for yeah. whatever reason. I couldn't, couldn't do it. Yeah, and I, that happens. Because, that's not an unusual thing. People, you know, yeah. and I hate to be the person that makes me stressed out or, you know, because they're trying to squeeze something in. And but No, because uh, you've had friends on. You've had Kevin Corrigan is a good friend of mine. And lots yeah. of people I've heard on your show. Yeah. So, yeah. so I'm just thrilled to have you on finally that it's worked Thank out. Thank you. You know? Me and, too. 
So actually, and I finally actually even did a little do, more due diligence. I finally caught up with mullet, which I had never seen. Oh, yeah. Sorry, I'm <laughs> deep diving, right? Yeah, that's a, that's a very deep dive. And in fact, that's a, uh, a dump. I quite literally dumpster dive in, the, in that movie. <laughs> that's true. And, it, you know, people can see it on Vimeo. I may link it, but let's, let, we'll, we'll talk about your work, recent work, like sure. the, new, the new film, of course. I didn't mean to get too too caught up but it was a lot of fun to see that because also bob byington and you know uh, yeah. jim my, jim of course is in it right it was so fun to watch my brother and, is a, in a dual role he's also the guy in the gorilla costume oh okay. makes sense but yeah. you had a, you had quite a few nearsighted characters in that film <laughs> yeah well, i don't know what it is i get interested in yeah things like that the last one was you know my my feature take me it was the toupee and uh, I just get curious about things and visually it's interesting to me or funny or whatever. Yeah. You but, don't, yeah, do, we, you, do you, do you have, have you, well, since you've mentioned it, do you, do you have any thoughts about, about that? Like do you, where it may be that that came from? The uh, glasses or the, well, you know, having the, these props or wardrobe like, yeah. that, that creates that you really appreciate. Like, I don't know. It was, is, do you think it, that, it, it, I think it comes from a really early age. I mean, a lot of acting, a lot of great actors and a lot of acting teachers will say that, you know, you're, you're the best at this job when you're four years old because you're really connected to that world of fantasy and imagination and, and you really believe it's real. I mean, you believe this couch over here is a ship and you're a pirate and, and you're fully committed to it. And so there's a lot of things that happen between then and when you're an adult and a professional actor that, um, get in the way of that and you sort of have to strip away but the you know the beginnings of performance is trying out you know putting on outfits and glasses and hats and and things at home and we certainly had no shortage of that I, I, mean, I have three brothers and, and my mom and dad tons of stuff to play with yeah and um, you know I think it comes from that and then there's certain things it's like maybe you see somebody with really thick glasses somewhere okay I guess the I guess the difference between then and now, and maybe it begins this way, is that you you get a visual idea of something, and then maybe you put that on, and you try that out, and then it starts to suggest things about the person to you. And I still do some of that, but I think now it's more like a, it starts internally if you read the script, and then you get an idea. I remember with Take Me with the the, the toupee, it was not scripted that way. But I do have uh, issues with my with my with hair loss. I I it's it's probably my great insecurity about myself, physically speaking. And um, I was going to wear a hairpiece for the film because I had an idea of what the character's hair looked like. And be- when I used to have hair, I would always almost begin almost every role with thinking about what the hair would be, and then that yeah. would suggest something in the way that the glasses do. And then Taylor Schilling was originally going to be coming right off her season of Orange New Black. So she uh, was going to wear a wig, too, because her hair was sort of all fried and burnt from from whatever she had on that show. And we were on a call. The two of us were on a call with Mark Duplass. And we were talking about that. Just the practical sense is I think I'm going to wear a wig. That's this. And he said, what if you both wore wigs and it's becomes integrated in the plot somehow? That's what I was because it, say. it's very much about acting and performance and all these things. Right. She ended up doing another movie uh, um, in between, so her hair looked beautiful and blonde as you see it, it in the movie. Good. Yeah. But I stuck with mine, and I didn't want people to think that I 
I've been obsessed with like my, my whole family has been, my dad used to point out guys with bad toupees all the time, you know, yes, I mean, it never, it, yeah, it's fascinating that someone that they think that people think that that's real. Well, the, irony, because, the irony being that it actually draws more attention to you, not correct. less, and it's not positive attention. Typically. So I got, I got one that was, you know, purposefully, you know, bad. And, um, we actually had to change the movie a little bit in post because people were confused when the movie starts because they <laughs> thought that I thought they thought basically that I Pat Healy was someone who didn't know that that looked bad. So we had put in some like ADR lines and stuff oh. to let people know that. Yes, we knew that that looked the, bad. Right. That's funny. That's really funny. The character. Please, yeah. It was it your sister who. Uh, yes. Well, she points out, please don't bring that. That was. Uh, yeah. We just put call. in a. a yeah, yeah, over this scene where I'm driving, we just put in a voicemail in ADR and post, and, and then then it worked, you know, like and and it got extra laugh, laughs too. So yeah, yeah. So it, it yeah, it was. A, well, so I guess that's, that, that's where it comes from. Well, I, I always get a visual idea. I mean, because I love movies so much, and I'm such a you know, I should approach things more internally more. But I, as soon as I'm reading that script, I get a visual idea of what that person looks like, and it evolves over time. But yeah, there are things like that that are nice little tools shoes are a big deal always the way you walk like we have these 1920s beautiful suits in this movie and these great shoes and hats and you put them on you're immediately in that world you don't have to do a whole lot you know right like you have to I mean, sort of like pull back and do less anybody do puts on a pair of cowboy boots knows automatically you walk you hold yourself you walk differently yeah and i wear cowboy boots all the time as a as a person like I, I, I like to wear them everywhere. Plus, they give me a little extra height, which is just good. Well, I appreciate also how you talk about it. Like it, these are insecurities, but you have drawn attention to them. It, it, um, I didn't expect to be talking about this, but like how that would be a way of combating that by making it into a, you know, a punchline almost like a joke. Yeah, I think yeah. I have to convince myself to laugh at it because. Otherwise, it would be sad, I think. Uh, somebody was talking to me about we need to do something. And in conjunction with Take Me, there's some outbursts of the anger. And it is very real, but it also is funny because I think if it weren't, it would just be depressing or something, you know? So there's an aspect of like, I'm not trying to make it funny. I'm genuinely expressing my anger or my rage, you know, especially my whatever I've been holding inside, but it should be entertaining too. Like I don't want to punish an audience with that. Hopefully it's both, you know, hopefully people are affected by it. Take me as a good example where I think I, I expressed real rage, but because of the context of the movie, it is a comedy. It is, it's funny. And I think there are many things about we need to do something that are funny too. I mean, it's certainly in a sort of absurdist, film you know well and you can and you're um, never really sure what people are doing like or what the character what, what you know if you're if they're yeah. being straightforward or if you're being you know somehow fooled or yeah you know. yeah and it's you know the movie is an allegory and a metaphor and you know as an actor you can't play allegory or metaphor but i i was very aware that the sort of construct of it isn't necessarily realism and i i have read some reviews just some early ones out of tribeca that, that criticized me particularly uh for overacting or something i just thought well okay you can't win them all but to me i thought 
I honestly felt like it was one of the best things that I had done, pieces of work that I had done. And when I saw it, I felt that even more. So um, I just turned it on before because I hadn't seen it since it came out. And then I was like, why well, I think I'm just going to re-familiarize in case it comes up in the course of the conversation, which was yeah. has. And then just was <laughs> I was with it again for the whole thing. So oh, are you uh, talking about Take Me? or uh, Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, yeah. I, also, uh, we need to do something. I've, I've watched all the way through it, of course, but yeah, uh, and enjoyed it thoroughly. But uh, you, and a lot of people may not know that your 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 origins were within, uh, not surprisingly, in the Midwest, but at this with Steppenwolf, which might explain mm-hmm. why Michael Shannon was in that mullet film as well. Yeah, right? Mike and I met at Steppenwolf in 1994. I went to school at Illinois State University, which they offered at that time an internship to graduating seniors. And I got the one when I uh, graduated, which is incredible in 1993 for a year. And, you know, it, I did all kinds of things. Like I worked on the stage crew. I lugged a per- porta potty up and down the steps of the rehearsal rehearsal space there, but I was, I was able to audition <laughs> for all the shows and I got cast as an understudy. And then I went on as an understudy uh, for Jan Barford. And then I, um, I did, I think, two of those during my internship year, and then I got cast in a show there as soon as my internship ended. And that got me an agent in Chicago, which got me whatever movies and TV and commercials were in Chicago. And uh, my agency had an office in L.A. So as soon as I got out to L.A., I really started working right away. There were, as a friend of mine says, unlike you, I was not cursed with early success. You know, sometimes it was like I hit it right out of the, Part early on and then it became diff- more difficult later and I had to sort of manage that and figure it out but yeah I was really fortunate there and to, to speak to the sort of acting style that we're talking about and the rage and the acting out that's very that's, much the Chicago style you know that's leave it all on the stage you know uh, put it all out there you know uh, get a hold of that bone and just shoe on it until it's you know in, in a million pieces but i saw i met uh john lithgow uh here on set the other day and uh he, he was asking me about myself and i said oh i i started in chicago and he goes oh you're the gold standard wow <laughs> wow uh, chicago actors are the best okay well thank you i mean you're pretty good too <laughs> <laughs> He went home and told his spouse. Then he saw my acting and he was like, ugh, can I take that back? Stop it. Well, he has such an interesting career path because um, I I was going to ask you about Steppenwolf and Justin, like what was, I don't know. I mean, I know a lot of wonderful, obviously they have, you know, an incredible number of of some of our great actors have come from, from Steppenwolf. But I was wondering where they also, was there, I don't want to use the term snobbish, but was there, were they really theater, theater, serious theater, you know, like people in no, the I mean, you know, technique, you know, like, you know, method or, or I was wondering if they, if, if that was part of your background, I didn't know if that. I mean, where I went to school, we certainly talked about the method and we talked about sure. Meisner and Stanislavski and uh, Uta Hagen. <laughs> Uta Hagen, Respect HP, for Acting. Yeah. That was like the, the touch the textbook um just analyzing the text read it over and over again you know and okay. you know, things start to 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 appear method teachers that i that i responded to and then at steppenwolf 
I mean, I think it was less about talking about it, more just about getting out there and doing it. Yeah. And um, they were also in this place because the Grapes of Wrath had been just a few years earlier where they bought this giant space, which they have now. And they've even built onto that now. And they have a school now and all these things, but they didn't have that at the time. But they were more of a an institution at that point. I see. Uh, but they were still doing, you know, really... Uh, interesting uh, stuff. They just weren't these scrappy young kids in a garage anymore because they were all, they certainly weren't snobbish about theater because Gary Sinise was a big Gary, movie star at that point. Malkovich had been and right. Joan Allen and Mahoney and, uh, you know, Mahoney yeah. was on Frasier at that time. And um, and then people like Jeff Perry and Terry Kinney were very much my mentors um, who were also, you know, Jeff was on Nash Bridges for years and Terry's been on many different shows and many movies and things and directed movies and, and, um, but, uh, yeah. And then there were people around the people that were sort of in my group were like, um, Nick Offerman and Mike Shannon, Tracy Letts, Kate Walsh, Paul Edelstein. Yeah. A lot of those people. Great we, actors. Yeah. I don't think anybody comes from sort of one school of, of, thought okay. on, 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 on approach, you know, I think it's just very much sort of like, you know, just committing to it and really kind of digging in and seeing what happens. Um, was it in the period where you, you said thing that you moved to when, finally, when you did get to Los Angeles though, and you said there might, might've been a little bit of a dry period or a difficult start, just took a while. Did you? It was, what? no, it was, a, it was a good start. It was a, okay. It was, you know, cursed with early success. It was a good oh, start. And then, it, then yeah. it dried up yeah, a little. Yeah. So okay. I think I moved yeah. out, I moved out in uh, 98. I was in Chicago about five years. And then it was around 2002 when things got a little bit more challenging and you go through this, you know, I still go through those periods, thankfully not for a while, but uh, two years ago, I was driving Lyft during the summer um, and got offered a, three tv shows at the same time and had to turn one down you know it was like you yeah. know it, you can only happens. tell the anecdote about driving a lift if you get those offers otherwise yeah like, exactly yeah it might I be know. a bit otherwise, too humiliating yeah no i was fine with oh, i was like good. look i need to do this i know it won't be forever i actually didn't mind it very much i found it be interesting and i liked getting up every day at the same time and and going to work and not thinking about my problems and that's great um, i honestly think kind of making that change in direction probably helped me um you know yeah take off again because i wasn't just sitting at home just worrying about remember, what the next job was or my problems were that's exactly right and do you remember that uh, about three years ago i think it was where that actor from the cosby show yeah i'm not going but you know the younger actor, at, he was working at trader joe's trader joe's i think that was a big moment i, I think uh for you know like uh, just just do it. it's sort of exactly what you just described. It was uh, the guy said almost the same type of thing, you know, where about just that, uh, you know, and also just the practical reasons. I had a family support. I, you know, I want to. I, I mean, I'm I, yeah. Why I'm lucky. I, I I don't have that. I mean, I'm I guess I'm unlucky that I don't have that in some ways. But I'm I don't have that kind of responsibility. But the truth is that I've I've made a living at this for you know, 23 years now, but this is the first time in my life I've actually had real money and it's taken a long time. You know, I was recurring. I've been recurring on a television show. That's a network television show for the last two seasons. And, and that's a lot of money. And, you know, I'm doing this movie and um, just so happens that uh, 
it's coming at this point in my life. But quite frankly, you know, most people think all actors are well off. And, you know, even the working ones will tell you, you know, sometimes there's a long time between jobs. Yeah, and, right, right. Uh, right. They can be yeah. lucrative, yes, but then it may be another five years before you get another. Yeah, and you don't of... know that. So, you know, you might be on the exactly. Cosby show and buy a house and have three children. And That's a good point. Right. And there's nothing. But yeah, it, it turned out fine. to be a, a great teaching moment, but also I think it it, it helped launch his career again, too. Which it did. It's a, it nice, was a byproduct you know? of that. Yeah. And well, I don't I think, think he was, he was humiliated. I think he, I think people were trying to humiliate him, and I don't think he was humiliated by it. He was like, yeah, I work at Trader Joe's. I need to make money for my family, you know? And people yeah. respected that so much about him that I can't think, I can't remember his name. I think his name is Jeffrey Owen or something. I think like you're that. close to it if you're not accurate. That's right. Yeah. So, the other, the other question I would have, because, I mean, it's such a, to me, uh, I don't want to say an honor, but to have you on finally is just, it's such a treat for me, you know. So well, thank you. please do understand if I'm asking you other questions outside of we need to do something, which again opens on September 3rd. I have seen Midnight. At, in theaters and at home. And, and streaming in VOD. And it co-stars Vanessa Shaw, Sierra McCormick. Who else is in it? John James Cronin, uh, the set Alexis. Son. Yeah, yeah. And uh, right. all great, all great. It's a COVID film. We could talk a minute about that. You just tell me when you have to hop because... Uh, or no, how... I don't know. I mean, I, is okay. Lee on here? He probably knows better than I do. Uh... Lee, are you in the background somewhere? Emily today. Oh, hi, Emily. Hi, guys. Hi, just Emily. You just have a one thirty pat, so you're fine for a couple more okay. minutes. Okay, gonna, okay. great. And, um, Keep going, guys. Okay, great. But the genre, like choice, I mean, well, first of all, it feels like you've always just loved, regardless of how this fits into what we've been talking about, I think genre films obviously is uh, like your love, you know, and um, you constantly, I just wondered how that developed, like coming well, from, from your background, it just seems like a, an unusual transition or pivot, you know. Well, our whole family has always loved movies and Jim and I are certainly the maniacs in that department. And <laughs> he always wanted to, you know, uh, watch them and show them and I wanted to make them. So we basically have the jobs that we had when we were seven, that we wanted to have when we were seven and nine years old. And um, it, it was just constant watching whatever was on and, um, and you know, reading in these books because it wasn't home video at this point and there wasn't really cable till a little later for us. So there's a lot of the Universal Monster movies, uh, beautiful right? comedies, right. Uh, Mel Brooks, Woody Allen, Saturday Night Live, SCTV. That's those were the um, touchstones. Sort of touchstones early yeah. on, and then as I became more interested in being a professional actor, you know, I saw like uh, the movie The Pope of Greenwich Village with Mickey Rourke, and I thought I hadn't seen a lot of Brando or De Niro, if if at all, a little bit, and I thought, well, that's what I wanted to be. Um, and uh, that, you know, sort of like, so he was sort of a gateway drug for me in terms of that. But I just have always loved all kinds of movies. I mean, quite frankly, with outside of those universal horror movies and like things like The Blob, which terrified me as a kid, yeah. it wasn't until I really couldn't take horror. I got really scared of horror movies around the time we moved when I was 10 to New Jersey for a few years. And it was like kind of a rough emotional time. So that period i really was like movies like poltergeist and john carpenter's the thing really freaked me out and i didn't want to see him and i was very squeamish about the gore and then i think somewhere around the mid to late 80s i remember evil dead 2 was a big movie that played at the theater that i worked in and everyone's like you got to come in here and see this and it's you know this 
demon getting its head squashed and the eyeball flying across the room and landing in a woman's mouth. And I was like, yeah. And I was like completely on board with that kind of stuff. But, you know, I love all kinds of people say like, what kinds of movies do you like? You know, it's good ones. Uh, right. From any, from any era, from any country. Uh, uh, I think horror, you know, isn't necessarily my favorite genre. And, and quite frankly, I think a lot of the horror movies are, you know, stinky, but that's because there's so many of them, you know, you get they're the easiest that's one right. to make and get finance and stuff. So, but I think because of, um, I suppose the innkeepers, which was just something I really wanted to do because I liked Ty's movie so much and I wanted to work with him and I hadn't been acting for years because I was making money writing and I was tired of oh, right. you wrote auditioning. Actually... Yeah. 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 So I was really burnt out on auditioning and get rejection and stuff. So I actually kind of stopped for auditioning at least for a few years there, like between like 2007, 2010. And then uh, Ty asked me to do that movie. And, and then that sort of led to Cheap Thrills, which I never thought of as a horror movie, but was sort of classified and sold that way. Genre and then some money. other things yeah. I did, some for money, but I, I, yeah. I always put 100% of my energy into whatever it is I do. And in this movie, I just thought was a great script and a great character and something I hadn't done before. And I was interested in the allegory, like you say, you know, to COVID, which is, you know, we were shooting in September and October of last year. And the election hadn't happened and there was no vaccine yet. So it really was this period of, I don't, I could always say things are going to be okay, but it was, I remember Vanessa and I having that conversation saying like, really don't really don't know uh, if things will be okay. And I was interested in the alcoholism and the withdrawal from the alcoholism and um, the, the shifting family dynamics. And, but also just, yeah, the, that I like, a horror that just comes out of an everyday life uh, situation. Um, and this movie takes some really kind of crazy, surreal turns and things. But I like that too. Um, but it just, I don't know, it appealed to me and, and, and it was a job in the middle of a pandemic and it was one that I well, didn't that too, have to right? put, push too hard to find what, uh, to find that character. I mean, I was feeling it, you know, that's maybe a, an outsized outsized exaggerated version of what i was feeling but yeah it's always good when something comes at the right time and you're there and you can just kind of step into it well thank you for sharing all that and uh sure. i want people i'm going to urge people to see we need to do something and again it opens september 3rd and stars among its cast uh, the great pat healy and uh it's going to be fun to watch it is fun. It is. Fun. It is really and, whacked out. And there is a, right. And you have a great scene with the snake, which we'll just, yes. leave, we'll just leave it at and that. And I'd say like, if you like Lucio Fulci and those Italian 70s oh, right. Italian horror movies that's, that's and like true. David Cronenberg, it's kind of like a, it's kind of like they, those two things went into the uh, Brundleflies uh, machine and fused together. That's what I like. And I, I like both of those kinds of movies a lot. So but it's a, it's a fun movie and crazy. Bananas, as I like to say. Um, <laughs> well, I want to come back sometime so we can talk some more. Uh, maybe me too. We can do this for longer. Me too. I love that. And um, yeah, no, I would totally enjoy that. So um, I, it, w- it won't ho- hopefully be that long because you're working on, it seems like you're doing a lot of work, but you know, you can, yeah. always, you can always just do this in a general way anyway. Cause sure. It's fun. No, I got some stuff coming up. That'll be interesting. Some things I can't even talk about yet, but okay. certainly be plenty to talk about in the near future 
Excellent. Great. Well, thank you. Thanks, Adam. It was fine. Finally can cross it off my bucket list here. (laughs) (laughs) You and me both. And I had both Healy brothers on at the same year. Yes. Major triumph. (laughs) Thanks. Okay. See see you, Adam. Bye-bye. What did you see out there? Not a tornado. Something else. I was scared. Scared of what? Of you. We did something bad. As I mentioned before, we had on uh, episode number five of the Film Wax Radio podcast... I had I invited on the director of, of of a new independent film that I had seen called Pounds, Matthew Bonifacio, but he couldn't come. But his the star of the movie came. Uh, his name is Carmine Famiglietti. I was already kind of friendly with him. I was so happy that he had agreed to do the fifth ep- episode of my show. Now Matthew had has come on the show since, so I'm not in any way maligning the great Matthew Bonifacio, but I do so much appreciate Carmine Famiglietti and it was only another 680 episodes later that he came back this time in a producer pants uh as uh on this new uh I guess it's a it's not really science fiction although there is special effects in the movie but it's a fantasy you know it's like a, a a fantasy an existential fantasy film uh with a romantic comedy twist to it called Hereafter called Hereafter and it stars the actor Andy Carl, who recently, other than doing Law and Order Special Victims Unit and the Broadway musical uh, Groundhog's Day, he was grabbed for the lead role in this movie. And um, we also grabbed the director of the movie, whose name is Harry Greenberger. So glad to be introduced to Harry. What a sweet guy. And I hope to have all these people on the show over the years uh, coming, you know, uh, coming up. The, the hereafter is about a struggling actor who dies right after a bad breakup and finds himself in an afterlife where he's told that he must find true love in order for his soul to move on to the other sides. It, it stars Andy along with Christina Ricci, uh, Nora Arnazader, Jeannie Berlin, and Michael Rispoli. What a great cast. It, the movie pops. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna uh, lie to you. It's a. It's a very entertaining movie. You can see it on Amazon Prime Video, and uh, probably other platforms. I'm, I'm assuming it's on uh, Apple Movies or iTunes, what have you. Do yourself a favor if you're feeling like a fun just movie. Uh, Andy Carl is a great actor. I'm. I'm so glad to be introduced to him, and um, he just sort of pops off the screen. I think Harry did a great job directing him. And Christina Ritchie is lovely in the movie, in a very nice supporting role. And everybody in the movie is quite good. You know, the the film has a lot of life to it, I have to say, considering it's about death. Uh, anyway, um, here you go. This is my conversation with three good friends. You're going to hear a lot of laughter in this uh, segment. Uh, we have, again, Carmine Famiglietti, Harry Greenberger, and Andy Carl here with Hereafter, only on Film Wax Radio. I need you to listen to me. A truck hit your car. What? You're dead, Michael. No, I can't be dead. I, I, got, I got stuff to do. 
Unfortunately, you died single. So? Souls cross over in pairs. Angelo! Michael! You have to find a soulmate. You're dead! Yeah. You look great! This is fantastic! I'm so glad you're dead! So I just ask dead girls on dates? Sure, why not? How do I find someone if I don't see anybody most of the time? Come on, don't be dumb. Just squint really hard and you see whoever you want. Sorry. I met this girl. I really feel like she's the one, you know? She's she's everything. Are you worried a new dead guy will show up and sweep me off my feet? Yeah, a little. That looks flimsy. I don't even know why we haven't been whisked up into the sky or whatever happens. For some reason, you don't match the criteria. Yeah, we're not soulmates. Sorry. Why, do you think even the universe thinks you're too good for me? Hey, watch it. Well, because I'm alive and you're dead. <laughs> I just... <laughs> there he, there is. he is. Sorry about that, guys. My my Zoom needed an update. <laughs> That's no what they all say. I'm so pissed. I was on doing this on another computer. I had it staged with my Met stuff and oh. stuff. And now I'm in the living room, and you can see the nine million pictures on the wall. Uh, there's nothing wrong with that. That's no, no, not at all. So, yeah. um, sorry about that. It's okay. Uh, it's just great that you 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 made it. You know, um, what was I going to say about that? You, uh, we were just talking about uh, Queens. Was seeing, I was saying, I, you know, I grew. I'm from Queens. Carmine, you're from Queens, mm-hmm. and I saw. I, you know, uh, we know one of the composers of, for the film is had worked with David Lynch. So I was I was yeah. telling Andy and Harry about this time the first time I went to see Blue Velvet I had to walk out because there's so much people were just talking it's driving me crazy you oh, know yeah. it's it's certain movies I, I can kind of look past it you know but that one I was just like I gotta go so I went I waited I went saw Manhattan I had to see it again and of course it was almost like changed my whole. Person, you know, you know it's like I could I could expect people talking at like a uh, Fast and Furious film, but like yeah. a David Lynch <laughs> film, like, yeah. doesn't, doesn't make any sense. Like you know, usually, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, crowd. I think it was just such a new the fact that a David Lynch film, not to get too far astray from our conversation about here after, currently on Amazon Prime, <laughs> oh, directed by Harry, Her, sorry, but uh, directed by Harry Greenberger and starring Andy Carl produced by Carmen Miglietti. But I, I think that the fact that a David Lynch film was never supposed to be in like a major movie theater or big, you know, typical playing against Hollywood films. Like, well, how does this guy who really is an experimental filmmaker get his mm-hmm. films? So people would go into there thinking they're going to see something kind of mainstream. And then they just like, what am I looking at here? Are you getting this guy's finding an ear in the freaking thing? And what is this? Oh, you know, yeah, and, yeah. and it gets more and more dark and dark. And, and, and so I, I think it just freaked people out and they were uncomfortable. You know, so I, I, I however, growing up in the house, all I grew up in, I was very comfortable with dark. So. <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah. Well, hey, already done. You're, you're growing up watching John Waters films and all sorts of things <laughs> yeah, like that. Exactly. exactly. That's, that's me too. That really flipped my brain when I was about 14. Oh, yeah. I was like... Yeah, pink flamingos. Yeah, that'll do it. Precisely. If it's like, hey, just be grateful nobody's eating a turd, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Put that on the t-shirt, will you? Yeah. <laughs> I was on all the crew shirts for that shoot, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> Who's eating a uh, turd next? Well, 
as I mentioned, and I don't know if anybody caught, I snuck in the film already a few minutes ago, but so where did the film materialize from? Because who wrote the screenplay for this? That would be me. That you're guilty? So yeah. you wrote and directed. Okay, very good. Yeah. And I'm, I know the rest of the information. I just I just blanked on that, that you wrote oh, the screenplay too. No worries. And where did, where, where did you get the idea? Uh, I, I had a, a, a breakup at an airport, kind of similar to in the movie. Uh, and as I drove away from that, I kind of like just started thinking about how, like, uh, if I were, you know, if I were killed on the way home from this, I would have died single. I would have felt like, uh, you know, I hadn't, uh, I hadn't sort of, you know, reached, you know, that sort of goal. And also I, I, I found myself thinking, uh, I was immediately besieged with friends saying, well, you got to get out there. You got to meet someone. And I thought, well, that's, you know, your, your head is all screwed up right after a breakup. And somehow that's right when everyone thinks you should meet someone and you're in no condition and you're not your best self. And you're, you're the last person anyone should be meeting at that point. And I just, you know, I, I came to an off ramp and kind of had like a close call, wasn't killed, but uh, thankfully, but I had a little close call and, and in my head, at least thought, you know, oh, see if, if that had happened, I would have died in this state where, you know, and I just sort of started extrapolating from there. The idea that like it puts a metaphorical gun to the character's head to be forced to meet someone while his head is still screwed up from a bad breakup. And he's still in kind of that that uh, miasma of like misogyny that you get into right after or or, you know, if you're a, if you're a guy, at least people tend to like drift into that. Like, well, I I don't like the opposite sex anymore, or whoever it is that you're used to dating. You you're like, I don't want relationships. I don't like them anymore. I don't I don't want those people. I, you, know, you hate people and you hate relationships, and that's a bad state to find someone in. And so that's what I tried to do. That's where and, and, the and, original nut of it came from. And and Andy, you're obviously you're Harry's avatar because. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> only, only for that part, really. The, the character's really not based. Puppet, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Well, the character's name is Harry Greenberger, so yeah. <laughs> yeah. no, it's it's Robert Michael Michael yeah. Michael. <laughs> right. And by we're going to mention, by the way, Carmine, who is is a producer on the film. The producer on the film. You guys collaborated. You swapped roles this time, right? Harry, you produced Pounds, or was a producer on Pounds, which Carmine wrote. And, uh, and acted in, and uh, which, and we're gonna, we're gonna, t uh, maybe we can talk a little bit about that later on. But, but Andy, you, you, uh, sorry to leave you out. Uh, you uh, end up playing this role. How did you uh, hear about the role, or did, did you use a proper casting director? And uh, there was a casting director, and uh, and and she and Harry had actually seen me in a Broadway show, uh, Groundhog Day. I was doing a musical at the time. Uh, the musical no, no. Another, uh, never heard of it. Um, I'm kidding, but it's funny that it's there is some element there you could probably, if I thought through, thought it through a little yeah. bit. I, I think that was like a metaphysical journey, right? Uh, well done. In a, another story, and it just sort of seemed fitting uh, for all of us. Uh, certainly, when they approached me about the project, and I read it, and I was like you know, please let me do this. This is yeah. uh, where my head's at right now. It's in this, this space of discovering, uh, you know, take a metaphysical journey to discovering oneself by, you know, sort of meeting all these obstacles along the way. Um, metaphysical obstacles in, in both cases. Uh, Groundhog Day, obviously repeat the same day over and over again until you 
find a certain uh, pattern in yourself and, and maybe eliminate all the bad things that are getting in the way of you living your life. And uh, with Harry, it was death. Just die. <laughs> Just you don't get to relive the same day. Die. So I had to, you know, Michael had to die in order to find uh, his, his a way to find the nitty gritty, the uh, Carmel Center, if you will, of uh, of what love <laughs> the, really the is. Nougat, the nougat, the nougat center. Yeah, nougat. Well, there's Carmel, a cr- nougat. You can use your own sweetener; it doesn't really matter. Just find the center. Right. Um, find that chewy center. Yeah, but, but there's a do great for a Klondike bar. Actually, let's just talk about candy the whole entire. <laughs> so there. That's my other podcast. So we'll have to flip over to that. Uh, well, well, you know, then there's a great tradition of 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 of, of movies that start with the uh, protagonist dying, right? Yeah. And then go into like a flashback or some sort of, in this case, it's not a flashback. It's, there is a little bit of flashback, but, but it's primarily what happens after he dies. Yeah, it was, it was an incredible journey. It's, uh, it was, you know, it was, it was weird because you're just, uh, okay, well, what do you do now? Obviously, I, I don't know how much to give away about the movie. Um <laughs> Okay, so there's there's certain there's certain obstacles in death, if you will, beyond just dying. Turns uh, out, it turns out that you're 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 sent on a journey of uh, of certain rules within uh, the uh, the context of the of the afterlife that are set by uh, Christina Ricci, if you will. <laughs> As it happens, that was a nice uh, that was a nice little coup there, right? To grab her, she's she's delightful. Sure. Yeah, she's great. She's very good in this. Yeah, yeah, yeah she's, she's terrific. She was great on set. We, uh, uh, you know, one of the great artists to just like work with because she, she kind of gets everything and she can play around. She's she's goofy, but she's also like as you know, as, as you see on screen, uh, very dynamic. I mean, Andy, you essentially interact with three. I mean, directly interact with three, with again. Guys, jump really? in if I'm, or if I'm, if I'm, uh, you know, giving away too much at any point. No, no, you're, you're, you're trying to be mindful of of, of spoilers, but uh, you have. I mean, you're basically invisible to most everybody, right? So you have only a small number of the people. You have. Yeah, the the rules of death. Right. Yeah. You're a ghost, essentially. Yeah. <laughs> You're, you're in this limbo where you're 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 trying to find because you don't already have your uh, soulmate. soulmate soulmate. Thank you. It's just such a foreign concept to me. me so too. pardon me for. <laughs> <laughs> I just refer to them as my. No, I'm not going to say it because yeah. people actually are watching. So uh, uh, yeah, right. So you're you have a little bit of time to find your soulmate before. You're sort yeah. of fucked and, and you're f- f- fucked as well. So <laughs> you have, <laughs> and so the film is basically following you while you're, you're trying to take care of that. And there are a few scattered people here and there who are also in your same situation where they haven't found their soulmate, like your old friend played by the great Michael Raspoli. Yeah, I mean, terrific from, just from my perspective, so um, and I'm, I'm sure Harry and Carmine can fill in a lot more about, you know, what was happening during, during Michael's journey um, is that, you know, in, in order to, to, you know, you, you have to find your soulmate. Um, some people find it in life. 
uh, obviously in this case, uh, you know, talking about Harry's, you know, original idea where he was uh, broke up with somebody in an airport. Um, that's, that's what happens to Michael. Um, so that was definitely not his soulmate. And minutes later, he is in a, in a accident that, you know, sends him to the, to see Christina Ricci (laughs) from there. um, Yeah. I think it's there. I was describing comedy talking about some of the rules. Some of the rules are comedic and a a little like, you know, farcical, um, but they, they're really about finding the, uh, you know, the the purity of, of, of what it is about someone you love. And uh, that's, you know, there's a lovely journey of meeting all all these people who are dead as well. Um, And uh you have to find someone there. It's, you know, maybe even harder to find somebody, a soulmate in the afterlife. Andy, you're a very physical actor. And yeah, and this, but this was a very kind of, you, you're able to exercise different set of muscles. You're right. You're, have you had a lot of opportunities to do comedy? Cause you're very good. You're, you really have a, uh, your, your physicality really lends itself to the movie. And uh, I'm not sure if you see what I mean, but, but you have a confidence, which works really well with the character. I mean, you, you know, it's the opening sequences, you know, especially before yeah, you, a, before you fall, start following you, becoming a sap. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think the, the opening, the very opening of the, the movie we, we shot, uh, I guess two weeks in, I'm going, this is, I'm going to give away the, the set yeah, piece. Uh, I'm, I'm on a but journey. You see everyone is terrified of Harry. We're all being very, right, yeah. what this I'm says. just going to give it away. I don't care. I'm very anti spoilers. Very... <laughs> but this was an interesting, like, oh, setup. So, obviously, I was how it looked on camera is I'm like being, uh, I'm on a gurney and I'm, I'm doing this long monologue, three pages that I memorized, by the way. Very good. And did it in two, two takes, I think. It was, wow. <laughs> um, so, uh, we, uh, but I'm going backwards in a circle on a gurney. This is the physical thing I had to do backwards while somebody's putting blood, blood on my face. <laughs> and I'm, I'm doing this monologue straight into a camera and uh, I'm spinning backwards and being touched in the face. Uh, all the distractions you could possibly want in one shoot. And, uh, and it was, it was like, like, you know what? I just settled in, went to my, my, uh, my Zen place of, I love physical stuff and uh, and let it fly. By the way, uh, yeah, Harry, please, you know, don't feel in any way uh, held back with if, if we go into territory you would like to keep, or I can delete it. If you if you want to see something funny, go look on my this YouTube channel uh, for Tom Noonan his appearance on my show. You know Tom Noonan, sure. And, and uh, regarding spoilers, like he this film is being re-released on streaming for the first time and I'm setting it up. And he, he says, what he interested, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm just setting it up. So people haven't done He goes, uh, I'm, I'm like, did I say too much? He goes, I just don't like knowing anything about any movie. Like I go, I don't even, like, I don't like to know about any, I don't even like to know the title. He goes, I don't even like to know the title. I'm like, well, I don't think you represent the majority of people that go to movies because probably not. It's a funny. It's funny because they just left it in, you know. Oh yeah, it's very awkward. Yeah, I've I've made my life's mission to fight against spoilers. It's you know, like I'm the. Uh, uh, but I well, well, people should know that the main character got. Go ahead. Sorry, I don't Karen. want it to take up too much time, but Harry has the greatest all-time origin story of why he's like that with spoilers. Uh, it has to. I'll just say this: it has to do with the Empire Strikes Back. 
you all know the big spoiler in that one where, you know, Luke finds out, you know, Vader says, I'm your father. Basically, Don't tell him. <laughs> basically, poor Harry buys the Empire Strikes oh. Back comic book before the film comes out, and then it's in the comic book and ruins it for Harry. Yeah, and that was scarring enough that then I wind up, <laughs> when, when Jedi is coming out three years later, I'm on the school bus, and I have arranged to go see an advanced screening the first day of Return of the Jedi, and I have avoided all spoilers. I've literally sat in movie theaters during the trailer going, la, 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 so I won't see any spoilers. And I'm on the school bus on the way to school where I'm being let out early to go to the movie uh, with friends because my friend's father is the principal. And so I get special dispensation. I get to go see Jedi. And um, on the bus on the way to the theater, they're playing the radio and the morning the morning DJs start going. Uh, so, yeah, Return of the Jedi last night. It's amazing. Luke and Leia are brother and son. And I'm literally, I remember running up the aisle of the school bus to try to su- do something. Oh, right, right, right. You, know. you can't unring that bell, though. You can't yeah, unring that bell. Exactly. Yeah. They just start... But, yeah, see, but, Andy, I just spoiled it for Andy. He's leaving. Those movies... <laughs> those, those movies aren't very good. Yeah, yeah. They Fair weren't enough. They weren't central to my upbringing or anything. Small films. <laughs> one of, one of, I was going to say, you know, I was listening to Andy explain... When he, we said that part about, you know, where, you you know, the journey he goes on, you know, it's what you want to find about what you really do love about a person. Mm-hmm. But I think as the movie's also going on, Michael is, is you know, shedding all these things that maybe gives that person the space to love who he really is, too. Like, they're happening at the same time, mm-hmm. you know, and that's something that Andy just pulled off incredibly. Like in the beginning, he's still thinking about a one-man show and all these things that he felt meant something to him. But little by little, those things kind of, you know, spill away. You know what I mean? And he he has to open up his heart too, you Mm -hmm. know? So it goes both ways, you know? So that's something that, you know, one of the things that I love that when you watch this movie, you just see that happening. and, And Andy just, you know, just carries it through that whole film. You know, it's just these incremental changes that are happening to him ever so slightly. You know what I mean? But it's it's all there. Carmine, what a softie you turned out. (laughs) (laughs) If we would have been downstairs in the other room with all my Met paraphernalia, the the harder version of me. You know, I'm up in the family room here. We mentioned Christina Ritchie's in it. We mentioned Michael Rispoli, who plays one of Michael's oldest friends in the world. He happens to be in this limbo situation, too. But he figured out a way to kind of, you know, make it work for For himself, uh, anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Nora, how do you pronounce her name? Arna Zadair. Arna Zadair. Terrific. She's lovely. She's in the movie as Honeybee. We'll just say becomes a central character in the journey. And Andy, who plays your mother? Uh, Jeannie Berlin. Um, and she don't know her. her, don't know her, don't know her, never heard of her, never heard of her. Wow, Uh, you know, for me, it's in, in, uh, so I passed away in the movie, uh, but you know, and and and, uh, but I was able to, I was able to witness, as does say Scrooge in the uh, Christmas Carol, um, he's able to uh, walk in and on, on, you know, places that he's been and uh, finds his family uh, speaking, you know, about him. They can't see him, but um, Jeannie does this, this, 
there's this great moment uh, I remember on that scene is that um, she's actually like really trying to, you know, feel Michael. She can feel him in the room. She can, and it really was like, it still gives me chills now because I was pretty much face to face with her at that moment when she's talking about my character um, being there. And, and you really get the sense of like a mother that has lost her child. That's right. You know, it's really powerful. Uh, and she was so good at that point. And I just remember staring at her and, and us connecting in that way. Um, or, you know, obviously putting up many layers and that this movie has many layers in it that are like that. Um, she was just terrific. Um, yeah, everybody, everybody that's part of the family that was, it was a sad moment, but a poignant moment in, uh, in for Michael to witness that, uh, things right. that he had lost, things that, uh, things that he should care about, things that he'll miss now that he's uh, like gone. Um, so it was, it was beautiful. Yeah, it's a, that's one of my favorite scenes in the movie. I love that. I love that scene. Me too. I love it. An, I guess you could call this an existential comedy. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Carmine, how did you uh, get Jeannie Berlin, who is, of course, the, you I, know, famous from the Heartbreak Kid and hundreds of roles and but also the daughter of Elaine May. I mean, just remarkable. I got to give all credit to Harry. You know, Harry uh, told me that he wanted to get her. And, you know, he had a conversation with the casting director and they came up with a strategy to, you know, reach out to her. But Harry had been throwing her name around early on, you know, so I, I can't, I can't take any credit for that. You know, that all really came from Harry. Yeah, well, he uh, he he uh, gives me a little too much credit. He also like you know, uh, Carmine was in on every casting decision and was. Uh, you know, uh, I I will say the one that I'm uh, I, it was Andy, you know, because you know the casting directors they send you, they'll send you these breakdowns of their sort of initial thoughts and ideas, and I spotted Andy right away. I said, "Oh, Harry, I, I'm, I love Andy Carl." I, you know, like I I knew Andy's work and I was a big. SVU fan and I loved his season arc on SVU you know so I I was I was chirping about Andy pretty early on um thank you yeah thanks for the game no it's true it is true (laughs) thanks for doing it we were not we were not happy what happened to 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 Docs (laughs) in this house you know in this very room we saw it happen we were not happy about it (laughs) <laughs> you know so not and that's and 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 i know that network tv's tough you know you you know you, you you know they're moving so fast and 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 you know it's you know that has its set of challenges as well doing network tv and you know to create a character that you you felt something for when he met his demise in that show you know like it it stuck with us like we we're like oh shit man i thought this guy he was gonna be a permanent you know what i mean like it like that's how it was, and it, it surprised you. So when we saw Randy, uh, you know, I was definitely. And then Harry went to go see Groundhog Day, and yeah, Carmine had recommended him from seeing him in Law and Order, and I hadn't seen any of that. But I, uh, 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 you know, he told me how much you know he was moved by his role in that. And then our casting director Lois Trapkin, uh took me to see Groundhog Day, and. I went in thinking, well, I I don't know anything about this person. And I came out thinking, geez, I hope we can get him because he's brilliant in Groundhog Day. I wish there was a way everyone could see that. It's It was brilliant work on everyone's part, brilliant work on Andy's part. And I, I literally, at the end of it, I, w- I went from 
not knowing a thing about him to uh, being desperate to convince him to do it. And luckily, he was willing. I think, you know, just the, 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 you know, the, I guess the circumstances being that, you know, I was doing that sh in particular show and then, you know, your script came along. I was like, well, this is, I, if I could do every project that has this sort of, you know, comedy meets metaphysical meets, you know, a uh, journey through, through man. I mean, talk about a truly fulfilling project to work on and, and hereafter just like was, it was, it was, I was still, you know, I was in such a, a joyous mode at that point to be able to like, you know, let's make this insane journey happen and, and make it mean something and make it, you know, as, as much as we uh, want to touch people's hearts with uh, what, what, tr what is truth, truth about love and what's truth about ourselves within the context of something surreal and, and uh, comedic and heartfelt and uh, great performances. So I, you know, a true treat. I had a good like couple of years where I was like, yeah, man, I'm riding. <laughs> and then I, you know, now, and that, I, I just played a cop that gets killed again on, on an episode of the good fight. So, oh, yeah, geez. you know, it's like, that's, Spoilers. that's part of my, that's part of my journey as well. But I'm just saying like, if anybody's watching us wants to cast somebody as a cop who gets killed, I'm here. <laughs> or, or a guy who wants to take a metaphysical journey into a, you know, absurdist sort of play. I'm here to, well, no, or you can do both because clearly dying doesn't stop you from doing an entire movie. Apparently. Yeah, that's what I could do. I could do the, the journey of my character on SVU after he dies. He goes and <laughs> he actually goes into uh, Harry Greenberger's world of, of death. I do have this script about a, uh, a cop that dies if you're interested in. <laughs> <laughs> uh, who, who doesn't? Yeah. Actually, Harry, uh, <laughs> I'll send this your way afterwards. Um, <laughs> Again, the name of the movie is called Hereafter. It's currently streaming on Amazon Prime and other platforms, right? Yeah, yeah. Right. Exactly. I think it's on all the uh, all video on demand platforms on Apple yeah. TV and Amazon, uh, iTunes. But Andy, you you uh, you walk through uh, solid doors and walls and people. A very good job. I, uh, <laughs> no, the special effects are quite good. I mean, I, I imagine you had to use that budget carefully is my guess mm. very much so yeah it was uh, that was territory that i had only had minimal experience with and and i think carmine had only minimal experience with and then we were lucky enough we had an amazing director of photography who had a lot of experience with the particular effects house we were using and so he was able to double as our visual effects supervisor and our editor also did a lot of amazing work on the effects sarah corrigan and uh we're very lucky this company safe frame in Romania. They worked with us and, you know, possibly at a loss uh, themselves by the end of it, because they were, they believed in the project, which was thrilling. They, uh, they and, a lot, and a lot of that had to do with the cast. You know, they were excited about the cast. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Know, they wanted to do this, you know, it was the cast in the movie itself. It's great. And I, and I imagine it's got to be sort of discombobulating for the actors like Andy to constantly have to try to, you know, imagine stuff that's not there. I know, I know that's part of it, but it's, uh, you know, Andy always made it believable, as did the other actors, always made it feel like, you know, when you see it on screen, they don't look like they're acting against a tennis ball on a stick. And, uh, yeah. 
And this so, was all shot, right? All shot, all done before COVID. I, I have to imagine. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you know yeah. what? This is the perfect opportunity to say it. Andy, we were almost, Harry and I were going to play a joke on We were almost going to call you in the middle of COVID and say, Andy, you know, this sounds crazy. But now that the streets are totally empty, we're thinking. <laughs> we <laughs> missed our opportunity. Just throw it out there. Just to, you know, just you might have, but the good news for everybody is but it was all you might have COVID. a chance for a sequel this fall. So at this rate, you may get very, very fortunate to be able to shoot again in the streets because they'll be they might be empty again. Delta cult, let's hope not. Yeah. No, I know. And Andy, had you had an opportunity? I mean, you're in just about every frame of this movie. Have you had that opportunity before to do to carry an entire film? Uh, no, 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 no. This is, uh, you know, um, uh, it, they, they put the word indie film in front of it for me. And I was like, oh, OK, I'll start off, man. I'll be it was small and I'll be like <laughs> heading a film. This thing was like, you know, it was a monolith. I was like, oh, wow, I better, like, you know, bring my A game. So I, I tried. Um, to, and look, I, I just think, you know, at the end of the day, it still just comes down to frame by frame and scene by scene and putting the pieces together. And so, sure. you know, working with some great actors and, and watching how producers it can be pu- puzzled together. Producers, directors. Yeah. Eh. <laughs> <laughs> Where did you grow up, Andy? Did you have, did you well, have been in New York? York. Uh, I, but I've lived in New York now for uh, did, 25 I years. I, I spoke over uh, Bal- I was originally from Baltimore, Maryland. Oh. Uh, that was my John Waters thing that I threw at you earlier. Oh, I, right. I of up, course. Not Barry Levinson, but, but, but John Waters. Okay. Yeah. Well, he, he was, he, he, was he grew up disturbing. two blocks away from where I grew up. So I feel like oh, it wow. off. Um, and Divine went to my high school. So all that kind of stuff. Wow. Oh, wow. Um, uh, Not when I was there, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't witness the good years. Um, well, hairspray. I went to the maybe three or four seasons ago when I was at the Maryland Film Festival, which is in Baltimore, as Andy knows. Well, as you all know, there was a screening of that um, HBO De Niro movie where he plays, help me out now. I, I, I Bernie Madoff? Bernie Madoff. Yeah. Thank you, Karma. When he plays Bernie Madoff and Michelle Pfeiffer, you know, played his wife. But anyway, that's directed by uh, Barry Levinson, who had did, of lies. who did thank you, who did my show many years ago with an earlier film called The Bay. But he was in the lobby, and then the next film I went into, John Waters was standing in line behind me. We ended up being seated together, like or just ended up sitting next to each other so you know and i, I was very shocked i had already approached him once at lincoln center and said mr waters would you do my podcast <laughs> and he said get the fuck away from me <laughs> he didn't say that but he did say no oh well <laughs> i said now i really respect you please reconsider. he doesn't do a lot of interviews does he he does appearances now and also you know just probably but even for 50 years, you know, probably done so many anyway, even if he doesn't. So he's only going to do them when he needs to, you know, first of all. Right. But anyway, well, thank you guys. I mean, I don't know if we hit, do we hit on everything? Is there anything else? I just want to say one other thing, which is oh, by all means. originally, uh, one of the reasons why Andy wound up being so perfect for is originally like Groundhog Day, like the first half is kind of meant to be a dark satire of like how the world makes you feel when you're single or lonely. And, and then, you know isolated uh, right right right. and then how like uh 
you know, it was meant to be sort of a dark satire of that, meant to be sort of like uh, bringing in all the frustrations of that and playing with that. And I knew he could do that. And then when you see, same with in Groundhog Day, it takes a turn uh, and then it becomes, you know, at least in a way, it attempts to be more meaningful and attempts to be more heartfelt and attempts to get to like a romantic and, and uh, you know, to a completely different place. And having seen Andy and Groundhog Day made me realize, well, there's nobody I've, I think I've ever seen that could more perfectly ride that line and keep the same character and keep the same level of and type of humor going through all of it, keep that as a through line and make it so it's not a um, a roller coaster of tones. And um, it was beautiful what Andy was able to do with it in that way. And uh, I can't thank Andy enough for doing the role. We were, and we were, we did. We were, we, uh, there were plenty of days, Adam, where Harry and I were looking at each other like, this fucking, we got such a fucking great cast. Great cast. Look at this cast we got. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because it doesn't, you know, it, a lot of things have to come together for that to happen. Mm-hmm. You know, it is. It's, uh, you know, the, the actor has to feel like they want to play that role and then the schedules have to work and, you know, you have to sort a lot of things out, you know, yeah. so it, it doesn't just, you know, happen by osmosis, you know, you, you, you have to catch some breaks in all oh, kinds yeah. of ways and, and as it unfolded and it all, no matter how much you prepare for it, it, it's sort of, no matter how much you can even think about it months in advance, it's like, it comes down to those last few weeks. It's just the nature of it it just has to like come together within that like 30 days from when the movie's going to shoot, you know? And, uh, you know, so we were just really, really lucky because I, and you can have a real strong cast. And then if there's just one person in that cast or one actor, who's just not working out. It can, it can, it can really end up compromising the entire project. And, and, you know, you guys, I, I have to tell you, no, and Lois did a great job for us. You know, everybody, even those, those the, the day player roles, uh, you know, all that stuff. You know that 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 stuff is all all so important. And we just it was a lot of fun. I, there have been plenty of days where I wish I could snap my fingers and and go back to about eighty percent of the production. There's about twenty percent I never want to experience again. Yeah, <laughs> stuff yeah. that stuff that Harry and Andy should never have to see or anyone should have to see. <laughs> Well, it all happens thanks to Carmine saying yes. It was a freaking great experience. It really was. Very very grateful and proud to have been a part of the movie. And it all happens because of Carmine saying yes in the first place. Because, like, as I always joke, he knew what he was getting into more than I did at that point when he said yes to doing this and my first film with me. Like, I, I was, I thought I knew how big an ordeal it could be to make a feature because I'd worked on so many in other roles besides director and, and writer. And I always think Carmine, he knew that he was saying yes to something that was going to be terrifying. And I was like, oh, no, it's going to be fine. We'll do great. And so it's Carmine saying yes that starts the whole ball rolling, that he was willing to come on board and and, and do both of these with me. So, so it all starts with him. Nah, he's being too nice, Harry. You know, Harry had told me about the script for a while. And it was, you know, I had known about a few of his scripts and this is the one that resonated with me the most, you know, there's the one that I wanted us to get the chance to do the most. And, you know, from day one, you know, I, I tell Harry this all the time. One of the best parts of working with Harry, not only, you know, a close friend of mine, of course, but, you know, he knows what he wants. You know, one of the toughest things as a producer sometimes is dealing with a director who might just be indecisive. You know, that's not the case with Harry, you know what I mean? And that makes would make my life a lot easier. 
you know, and then we got lucky to find Christopher Walters, uh, you know, because we had another DP who, who became unavailable close to the shoot. And then, you know, we had, had all the effects experience that we didn't have. Yeah, the right. Original DP, yeah. The original guy, you know, he was sort of going to be the special effects guy as well. And, you know, job came up and the guy had to take it. It happens. That's part of doing independent films. And then another filmmaker I knew referred Chris and, you know, we just, you know, it just, you know, just got yeah. lucky. That dude, oh my god! Some of the the pictures, some of, some of the, the the camera work on this movie is so beautiful. It's so and it captures New York in that great way and uh, the way you dream of. Uh, I just have one last thing to say is that Harry and Carmine are complete assholes. You can tell <laughs> by this interview they're hiding everything. They're Thank actually you. really evil. They're Thank totally you. evil. Uh, that was the spoiler. So I, I was. Knew, I knew he was keeping it. I just wanted to say it now. I just wanted to get it out. So I'm done. Fuck these two guys. Yeah. Uh, it was a great team. It was a great, great movie to work on. Uh, obviously, as you can tell, we could all sit here and, like, you know, just have a love fest for it's you know, nice. the next hour. I was pretty much expecting Christina Ritchie to Zoom bomb us, but. Uh, let me tell you, she's, she's cool enough that she would have. Yeah, yeah, she's awesome. Absolutely. <laughs> and but funny no, as well. Happy to have this movie. The three of you guys on, and thank you, Carmine, for uh, thinking of me also and letting me see the movie. And it's, it's really nice that we can uh, come together again. Yeah, thanks for doing this. Thank Adam. you, Adam. Thank you for doing this, and uh, looking forward to talking to you again uh, soon and seeing those guys. Hey, there you go. <laughs> Just photo bomb. There she is. There she Hi, is. Guys. I Have a great time on the film. Christina. Those two are assholes. I love you. You're all dead. <laughs> so what exactly happens if i don't find a soulmate you cease to exist and the world goes on without you as always how much time do we have it's like life nobody knows and everybody gets a different amount oh i mean why can you hear me why can you see me why do you understand this i've just been seeing this stuff a lot lately Normally, it's not possible to bond with someone who's on the other side of the line, but she's close. What does that mean? It means she's going to die soon. So I have to let something terrible happen so I can hope that it means we work out for each other? I mean, she still has her whole life. I can't let her die. This isn't going to work out for you the way you want it to. You can't change destiny. Michael, this is my friend Faith, and Faith, this is my newly deceased friend Michael. I am missing Pilates for this. <laughs> Again, 10 Years of Film Wax starts next week. Uh, we'll be bringing our old friends of the podcast, starting our second decade of this show. That's incredible, but it's true. And, of course, you can catch both of the episode segments that were on this episode, the one with uh, Pat Healy as well as the one with the boys that you just heard. They're both also available on the YouTube channel. I'm telling you this after the fact. If you haven't, if you, I mean, it's it's a lot of fun to watch four people than it is to – it's a lot more fun, I should say, to to watch four people talk over each other than it is to listen to them do that. So I apologize if any of that was a little – Hard to understand. It's not typical that I bring. I try to keep it to usually to two or three people max, but occasionally you just got to do what you got to do in order to get the right segment set up. And I figured that that one we really wanted to bring on all four of those guys. There's no way, or, or three, I should say. But there's no way I'm not going to bring on Carmine anytime he wants to come onto the show. 
Thank you, everybody, for listening. We'll be back next week with a brand new episode, of course, of the podcast. In the meantime, consider subscribing to FilmWax's Patreon account, which which would make you a patron of the show for as little as $3 a month. We're going to be adding old episodes. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm just getting started with it, but we're going to put on all of these episodes, the first couple of hundred episodes of the show, which are not available in any other way except for for patrons of the show if you want to go back and listen to any of the old episodes exclusively available for patreon subscribers i apologize of course if you if you're interested in 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 any past episode you can't find it just contact me and i will make it available to you because i'm a i'm a softy too okay take care of yourselves and the ones you love we'll be back next week take care signal drawn upon the bricks of a clinic for the dispossessed Collect the brine from the rain gutters, let the devil take the rest. Rats returning home to our nest. Beneath the streets of the city with my brethren in the never-ending shadow. Beneath the streets of the city with my brethren in the never-ending shadow, there I go.